Council. Uh, to discuss two topics of very keen interest, uh, progress on the city's walk and roll project, as well as an update on planning uh, for North Sphere Parks. I'll make that uh, plural. And it looks like we're starting with walk and roll. Mr. Bowman. Thank you, member, uh, Mayor, <laughs> members of City Council. Randy Bowman with the Department of Public Works. I'm going to provide some slides to you about uh, our walk and roll uh, program. So walk and roll is about filling gaps in the city's bike and pedestrian infrastructure. Uh, we have uh, uh, briefed the council before as a part of our overall ATP active transportation program. Uh, 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 efforts, uh, but this is specifically about a component, which is the walk and roll program or project. Uh, we have uh, studied pedestrian gaps in the downtown core, which really is where we have uh, uh, so much uh, pedestrian activity, uh, as well as uh, biking infrastructure uh, throughout the entire community. And uh, this effort began, I think I actually have some slides about timeline, but this effort began certainly with a lot of uh, data gathering, uh, field work, driving uh, uh, by our consultant team to uh, look at where the gaps are. And the, the idea behind the program is really to in, improve connectivity in our biking and pedestrian infrastructure, provide greater safety uh, for those users, as well as comfort. I always like to show this slide. Uh, this is uh, our primer on the various different flavors of bikeway types that uh, we actually have in Palm Desert and actually exist throughout the country. Everything from a multi-use path that's a class one uh, to a class two uh, that could be buffered or unbuffered, that's a bike lane. And we have those uh, on San Pablo, uh, uh, south of Fred Waring. And uh, our conventional bike lanes, which we have a lot of, uh, and that's part of the comfort uh, concern that uh, the, the study is attempting to, to address. Uh, we have class twos on major roadways such as Portola or Country Club. Uh, we also uh, are in presently installing a lot of uh, shared uh, roadway or class threes in Palm, South uh, Palm Desert right now uh, through our PD Link project. And then we also have two-way cycle tracks. Uh, I think the most obvious example is the CV Link in Palm Desert. Uh, and the PD Link program uh, is also proposing to build more class fours uh, throughout, the, throughout the city. There's also a, a one-way flavor of a cycle track, and we actually have that here on uh, uh, San Pablo Avenue north of Fred Waring Drive. So as I said, uh, we began with a lot of data gathering. This is a, a, a lot of miles of roadway to cover, identifying the gaps, uh, and then prioritizing improvements. And I'm gonna go over some scoring rubric uh, uh, concepts that the, the, the project team uh, developed to help us look at where should be the, the number one, number two uh, uh, projects to implement. Uh, we're here before you today uh, to present this and we'll come back to you in March uh, for a request for a direction on uh, firmed up uh, priorities for the program. Our goal is uh, to be bidding out the, the construction of phase one uh, uh, in, uh, in Q2 of this, this year. Uh, nothing can be done without input from the community. 
and we have done it uh, in a couple of different ways. We've held uh, two community meetings early on to help guide what could be the scoring rubric and where are the hot points, and we touched base with members of the community, representatives of the cycling community. We also stood up uh, a page on the city's Engage Palm Desert to encourage feedback from the community. Here are some samples on the screen of uh, feedback that we received. We even set up a map uh, where uh, uh, residents uh, could uh, drop a pin and, uh, and uh, make a note about a concern uh, about a, a point or a, a roadway segment in the community. So I'm first gonna uh, talk about the bicycle gap analysis. Uh, we've identified physical gaps where a, a bikeway ends and then it doesn't begin for a, a, a length of time. Uh, and that could be either at intersections or it could be along the length of a roadway. Uh, and so this map represents the, the physical gaps in the, I'll, I'll call it the reddish color. Uh, and then there's a level of stress uh, gap. This was informed, uh, this kind of a ranking or rating criteria was informed through the, the process and developed with input uh, from, from stakeholders. And uh, high-speed roadways where we have a lot of cars, but we may have a bike lane that is only five feet wide. Uh, and a good example is, is Country Club uh, Drive. And then safety gaps. Uh, you may recall uh, two years ago during uh, uh, the pandemic, the height of the pandemic, the city was out uh, filling in some gaps at signalized intersections throughout the city. It was a project that was funded uh, in part by uh, um, RCTC and the SB 821 uh, uh, funding uh, stream, a uh, grant funded. Uh, and uh, we filled in uh, gaps at key intersections at about uh, 40 locations throughout the, throughout the community. Um, but there are more. There are more intersections in the community where the bike lanes end or are, uh, where they terminate at a, at a stoplight, they don't meet contemporary design standards. A good example is uh, if you have a right turn lane, you want the bike lane on the left side of the right turn lane pocket at a signalized intersection. In many cases, the bike lane just ends. And so uh, that's, that's uh, some of our safety gap analysis. Uh, and, and in fact, that second bullet under safety gaps is exactly what I'm talking about. Then with respect to the pedestrian gap analysis, again, focusing on the central part of the city, uh, key roadways where we see pedestrians uh, walking in the roadway, there is either sidewalk neither on neither side of the roadway or on one side of the roadway, or uh, it may be on one side, but there are gaps uh, in, in the sidewalk. And what we have seen is that uh, the city, uh, as it has grown over the years, uh, brought in some streets that were uh, existing prior to annexation and simply were not sidewalked. Uh, and, uh, and so there are many gaps uh, throughout the older part of this community. Uh, we also looked at uh, uh, where we have segments or intersections uh, with high collisions. Uh, we were informed by the city's local road safety plan effort that we did uh, three years, now three years ago, uh, that helped inform uh, where we have some hot spots for pedestrian safety. Uh, we also have uh, several free uh, movement right turn, uh, uh, right turn situations at big intersections. A good one, for example, is Fred Waring at Highway 111, the westbound Fred to turn, I'll call it north, northbound on Highway 111. Uh, we frequently see pedestrians um, darting across that, uh, that, that, that island uh, to make it safely to the side of the road. So those are some potential uh, red hotspots uh, for pedestrian safety. And of course, we just simply have very, some very large intersections in the community. 
the prioritization factors, uh, connectivity certainly, uh, where do we have gaps and where do we have uh, a lot of bikeway users or where do we have a lot of pedestrians? The safety, again, being informed by looking at crashes and trends and what, what, what uh, contributed to pedestrian crashes or bicycle crashes. The constructability. In some cases, as, as we are doing right now, it is very easy to put down a shero lane marking on a shared route. But in some cases, adding a sidewalk behind the curb may result in perhaps right-of-way acquisition. It may result in relocating utilities, mailboxes, privately installed landscaping that is installed uh, in, in the right-of-way. So constructability should be a factor to consider uh, when prioritizing uh, improvements. And then the ease of use, uh, where, where, where the, the facility type uh, and what does that facility serve, the bikeway facility or sidewalk facility, uh, how easy is it to use? What, what do we have to do to make it uh, usable to the users? Sorry for that soliloquy. Um, so we, we have approached the walk and roll program um, thinking about, about implementing year by year. Uh, and, and on the screen is represented the, the first year of, of priority is Portola Avenue that has some gaps in the, in the bike lanes or simply uh, uh, the bike lane is, is very narrow. We would want to focus on, on having a continuous buffered as much as we could bike lane along the length of, of Portola Avenue. Again, a buffer is not a physical separation like CV Link, a buffer is striping uh, that uh, just pushes the motorist further away from, from the bike lane. Um, intersection connectivity, again, where we have signalized intersections that the bike lane just simply is missing at the intersection. We need to give guidance uh, to those bike, bikeway users. Uh, we uh, foresee uh, uh, the ability to, to launch this, uh, this, this project again in, in Q2 of, of this year. It could also include uh, segments of Cook Street that bookend uh, the recently completed Cook Street Rehabilitation Project from Frank Sinatra North and from Merle Drive uh, South, uh, as well as uh, Gerald Ford uh, west of uh, Portola. Moving on, uh, other, other roadways uh, uh, we, we took a hard look at include Country Club, I've used that as an example, uh, El Dorado, uh, Oasis Club, Tamarisk, uh, and then uh, those would be bikeway improvements and then sidewalk improvement along De Anza Way and San Gargonio Way, filling in gaps, making sure that pedestrians don't come to a dead end of a sidewalk uh, mid-block. Moving further, uh, into the future, uh, extending uh, uh, and improving the existing wide sidewalk along the west side of, of Monterey uh, from Parkview down to Hahn Road, but making it more usable, uh, as well as more uh, class three shared roadways. Um, and then toward the end of the five-year CIP, we envisioned coming into today uh, that the projects that probably are a little harder to implement because of the need to coordinate with property owners, the need to move landscaping, uh, perhaps right-of-way acquisition, includes uh, sidewalk on San Juan and, and Fairview Avenue, as example. And then sidewalk along San Anselmo, Royal Palm, Catalina Way, fill in the gaps, uh, provide a continuous sidewalk, at least on one side of the roadway uh, for uh, users, as well as um, appropriately striped and marked and signed uh, crosswalk locations throughout the length of these of these roadways. So as I said, coming into today, uh, a thought was we 
we're, we're bikeway heavy on improvements while we, which are easier uh, to construct and don't require right of way, while we're also designing and focusing on the, 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 the sidewalk improvements that would require uh, likely the acquisition of right of way and much more hand-to-hand um, uh, -hand engagement with, with the residents that would be affected. Um, but you know, our challenge is get as much done as quickly as we can. And so one thing we are, we are looking at is combining uh, these, whoop, combining various phases into larger chunks uh, that we can put out to bid, put out to design as necessary, uh, and, and have them done in, in larger chunks. So, so it's very likely with, with input from the, the council today, as well as uh, in March, uh, you'll, you'll see a more aggressively uh, programmed uh, project to fill in these gaps uh, along, along roadways. So looking ahead, uh, we expect to come back to you uh, in a month's time uh, with uh, a clearer picture, uh, craving your input today, uh, and uh, confirm direction on the program so we can proceed then with, with bidding out uh, our first slug of, of projects under this, I think, a very exciting program to fill in the gaps. Uh, that's, that's it for, for the slides. Happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Uh, you're not the only one who is excited. Uh, I feel safe in speaking uh, for the whole council in expressing excitement uh, at this program and its support for one of our core city values, which is to support active, healthy, outdoor living. Uh, so thank you. Uh, Councilmember Hardick and I have had the privilege of working with staff as the Active Transportation Council Subcommittee. Uh, so we've weighed in with lots of feedback that I see reflected in uh, what you've just presented. So let me start with others to see if you have questions or feedback. Hello, Randy. Excellent presentation, and thank you for all the work. Love it. A um, couple questions. I know, and I, you and I, before I was even on council, discussed some of the challenges on Portola between Magnesia Falls and Fairway. And I show on one of these maps um, that, that is a planned improvement. Basically, it looks like from Haystack all the way down to Gerald Ford on Portola. Um, how do you plan to, is there a, a plan to address you know how narrow it is in front of the, both schools, Washington Charter and Lincoln, and uh, it looks like you know you're planning bike lane improvements. Just want to know how that would happen. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Just how? Sure, sure. So so we 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 have um, the recently adopted by this city council uh, the CVAG uh, active transportation design guidelines. Uh, that will certainly be an input into how we approach the design of pedestrian infrastructure or bikeway infrastructure. Um, we have recommended minimum widths for, say, bike lanes. We have recommended minimum widths for through lanes for motor vehicles. We have recommended minimum widths for, for turn lanes uh, uh, at intersections. So it's, it certainly is, is looking at the, the, and this is where we need the, the help from a consultant and a contractor. How much width do I have in any given block along Portola Avenue between the face of the curb and the edge of the gutter? And then how can I divide that up? 
and where we have opportunity to keep the minimums for, for motor vehicle safety and for bicycle safety, we want to add those buffers uh, to, the, to the bike lanes. In some cases, it may not be able to be buffered. If you think about San Pablo Avenue south of Fred Waring, we maximize as much as we could uh, the bike lane with buffers, but in some cases where we have pinch points in the roadway, we, we lose that buffer. We transition to a narrower, uh, just, a, just a standard bike lane, but then we widen it out when we get past that pinch point. That is uh, an accepted uh, uh, method uh, to, to providing bicycle accommodation along roadways. We probably would see that uh, on Portola Avenue where, uh, where it's wide enough, we'll buffer a, a, a bike lane. Uh, but where it's not, we may have to just have a more standard type of bike lane. Uh, and and I, I think that's, that's a, a good thing that's in the ATP design guidelines from CVAG is recognize a, f a flexibility and that many cities are faced with um, having to uh, retrofit a bike and pedestrian accommodation into existing infrastructure. Uh, Councilmember Nostande. <laughs> Yes, thank you, Mayor, and also thank you, subcommittee. This is a great uh, endeavor and, and to our staff. So yes, I'm very supportive of filling in the gaps and not sure if this is even feasible, but this, the neighboring city of Indian Wells that we share part of the sidewalk, if you're coming from say City Hall, going down Fred Waring, heading to Indian Wells, once you cross Cook Street, You've got a nice sidewalk, but then all of a sudden it narrows, and then I think it becomes Indian Wells. But people still use it to walk, ride their bikes, and it's such, it seems like almost as if it's a death trap. Do you know where I'm talking about, Randy, that section? I think it's, it's uh, let's say, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's where the two cities corporation limits uh, abut. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that that that. I view it as an opportunity uh, for us to interface and, and intersect with, with our neighboring uh, uh, communities. Uh, we have to do that, say, with Rancho Mirage on the CV link, uh, and because we, we share ownership of, of Parkview Drive. Um, the situation is a little different in that uh, we just simply stop uh, our corporation limits on Cook Street, and then it's Indian Wells from there. But what we are doing with these projects, we're reaching out to our neighboring communities, sharing with them the city's intentions, and that sometimes that gives them an opportunity to uh, collaborate with us. Other, other times it doesn't. Uh, but I'll, I'll use a, a second example, Portola Avenue, uh, 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 north of, uh, uh, north of uh, the, uh, the Living Desert, uh, we have shared ownership of the roadway with Indian Wells. And in that case, uh, uh, we have uh, a commitment uh, uh, by Indian Wells to work with us on, on filling in the gaps on the bike lanes on the east side, the northbound uh, lane of, of Portola Avenue. So uh, we're using this program and these projects as an opportunity to link up uh, uh, with, with our neighboring communities. Thank you very much. Very politically stated. Any other questions? Yes, Mayor Protem. Okay, can you hear me? All right, that 
That makes the difference. Um, thank you for, for a great presentation. This is excellent to be able to identify those gaps. And ultimately, safety is, is foremost. We are the center of education. We know that that means a lot of students are, are finding alternative transportation. And we want to be sure that, that they know we're looking ahead for them. And I want to thank you for the fact that I think as we talk about just putting up sidewalks, we're not considering or taking into account that that would mean changing a lot of landscaping. So I was wondering if, if that could be something that you, know, you can come back next time and give us a little bit of info and saying in this area that would be more appropriate because this cost would be much greater on this area given landscape removal if it's not too much to ask. Um, another component would be, in, as you mentioned, some of these streets, the, the speed is very high. And in re-educating our, our motorists to slow down as they're sharing the road, is that somewhere where we could put, you know, the, the flashing signs that indicate how fast they're going and maybe try to tame them down as, as they have a visual reminder to slow down. So that's, that's my concern, that they're still not going to understand to share the road in places they're used to zipping through. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mayor Pro Tem. Uh, uh, I think I can bring back uh, in March uh, some examples, some illustrations of some of the challenges uh, the sidewalk projects will have. Uh, uh, you can just imagine landscaping that's all the way up to the back of the curb. You know, in many cases, uh, a resident may not really understand that some of that is is city public right-of-way or in other cases it may just be an easement because this city has various forms of rights to to the to the public infrastructure and i think that's something that will be known much better as we as we proceed with uh, uh entering into design contracts uh for the sidewalk projects the consultants will need to do title research they'll need to uh, do surveying to to make sure that things are designed appropriately before we go out to the community we need to know who really owns that that ground that's that's behind the curbs but i think we can show some illustrations um and then with respect to the speed awareness signs or speed feedback signs uh we like them uh we like to install them uh and we like to think that it helps uh, remind motorists uh to obey the speed limit uh, and uh, I think you'll see more of more of those installed as, as time goes on. There's another program that we are uh, developing a neighborhood traffic management plan, uh, and, and a key component of that is how can we uh, get better compliance with speed limits on particularly on residential streets. Of course. My, my follow-up question is in regards to where you're saying sometimes the landscape is pushed all the way to the street. Would there be a likelihood, if it's an older development, that there's a wall that's pushed that close where it would require somebody to knock down a wall, not just rip out some, some living organism that's there? Uh, yeah, I, I was uh, just uh, refreshing uh, the routes as I was preparing the, the presentation with the help of uh, our, our project manager. Uh, and I think there's an example in Catalina where on the north side that there, I think there is a wall that is practically right behind the curb. So I think that plays into uh, uh, how, you, how you look at uh, uh, the path of least resistance uh, for a sidewalk while still providing a continuous, obvious, safe route for, for, for pedestrians. In some cases, it may, it may make the best sense to shift at an intersection, appropriately signed and marked, to shift pedestrians from one side of the road to the other side of the road at, at an intersection. Not unlike how we have shifted CV Link 
from one side of magnesia falls to the other at the, at the roundabout. Uh, that, is a, that is a mechanism that, that, that can be done. And I think every case that, that will come across uh, will need to look at what, what is there in the right-of-way, what's allowed to be in the right-of-way, how can we still provide a continuous pedestrian route uh, for, for the users through these projects. And I think we can certainly come back, uh, uh, work with the subcommittee, work with city council on, on some of the tougher decisions. Thank you very much. I greatly appreciate that the foresight is what would, again, make it the path of least resistance and make it uh, less invasive with easements and all of those challenges. Thank you greatly. Anything? We I have a couple of things, and, and thank you so much. This has been a great process, and the public has been uh, really an important part of coming to the place we are today. So thank you, for everybody, for participating. A couple of things. I just have to mention this. Today, this morning I was leaving City Council or City Hall, uh, and there were two bikers, Lycra bikers, in the middle of San Pablo. Now, they have a bike track. They've got a class four bike track, and uh, they're in the middle of the street. So I know there's nothing we can do about it. It's obvious that that was made for them, that bike track, and yet they chose to be in the middle of the street. So it's frustrating with all the work we put into protecting our bikers. It was not you. I would have pulled over and said something. Uh, but I, I can't understand when they have a protected place and they choose the street. So. And as many of you may know, I mean, I ride my bike, and I, I don't know why you wouldn't take the protected um, option. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is they are, uh, and you, I'm sure you know this, they really are bumping up the funding now for planning through Go Human, through the Safe Routes to School, so hopefully we'll be able to uh, address some of the issues that we heard Councilmember Truby talk about. because, And we do have to remember that though it's great for recreation, a lot of people use these bicycles and walking to get to work and to get to education. This is part of their lifestyle and the way they uh, get around. So it's not just for fun and games, it's, it's to uh, achieve life goals. Um, the other thing on Parkview, and you did mention that, and I know we have issues, we share that with another city. Uh, and I, I mentioned it to CBAG, and I think I included uh, the city on the email, but it's important that we take a look at those arrows as you would be, as Parkview stops at Monterey at the college and gives direction. Those arrows are, are and I've had a, a number of people comment on it. So I think it's really important that we take a look at that. Um, and of course, I always think it's important, rather than going across 111, that we go uh, under a bridge on the shoulder of CVWD land on that wash. I think that's a tremendous opportunity and a safe opportunity. So I know you've heard it from me before, but you know, I had the opportunity, so I said it again. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Councilmember Nistante, are you hearing all of us okay? Yes, perfectly. Thank Excellent. you for asking. Just wanted to check. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay, and Randy, just um, I did notice on one of the priority projects, uh, bike lane improvements coming in 23-24, El Dorado Drive, Tamarisk, Oasis Club. Um, are we going to have an opportunity 
to provide feedback on what those improvements look like or have they already been chosen? Because as you may recall from I'm one of those lycra-clad people, and sometimes, you know, what the general public considers improvement, we might dispute. Like going, like for, from my point of view, Oasis Club right now is pretty generous, you know, for cyclists. So would an improvement, if, if somebody considers an improvement, taking it and putting, you know, the bike lanes on one side of the road and making it two-way where you have then opposing traffic, whereas right now, to my mind, it's fairly safe with a nice wide lane. In other words, are we, have those improvements already been decided or will we as a council have some opportunities to provide input in the process? If council wants to provide that input, we will certainly come back to you uh, with, with our analysis uh, and, and perhaps even options if, if we uh, think that there are, are reasonable options, feasible options. Uh, terrific. And the good news, which I shared yesterday at our study session on goals, is that the small steps we've already implemented on Haystack are slowing people down uh, sufficiently that some of the unreformed speedsters have complained. Uh, but as I said yesterday, uh, when I've explained the reasons uh, for the added stop signs, uh, the needs of the neighborhood, everyone has been empathetic. Uh, so these steps do influence uh, driver behavior. Thank you. Ready for parks. Good afternoon, Mayor, members of the City Council. Sean Muir, Senior Management Analyst, Parks and Recreation and Landscape and Community Services. And uh, as you know, staff have been hard at work with InterWest Consulting Group um, obtaining public input on two new parks in North Palm Desert. Um, we have Gianno Faoli from InterWest Group with us today who will provide a presentation on the results of some of the surveys that have gone out. Uh, we have a survey active now on Engage Palm Desert, and um, there has been two open house meetings, one in December and one in January, uh, in which InterWest has received the public input on these parks. So um, without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to Gianno Fioli of InterWest to provide the presentation. Good afternoon. Thank you so much. Um, it is a pleasure to be here. Um, so what we'll do is that uh, we have prepared a presentation to give you a snapshot of where the data was um, as of approximately two weeks ago. The idea is that the survey will remain on um, and accessible to all the residents, but we wanted to give you a sense of where the survey is right now and what kind of responses we have been getting. So starting off, uh, we, we identified not only at the open house, we held two open houses, one in December and one in January. Uh, we had an attendance of approximately in total about 80 individuals. And online, we've received over 300 responses to our online survey. And what we've asked, the first question that we asked was um, the location for the uh, regional sports park. Um, we gave them two options, one closer to Portola along Frank Sinatra and one closer to college. And the majority of the individuals responded that they preferred the location closest to Portola, 
which we think is a smarter choice as well, because eventually you'll have the access to the highway. Next. Eventually, we'll have access to what? Um, north, north to the highway. Okay. Yeah. When we looked at who responded, um, we realized that the majority of the respondents were year-round residents. There was a concern that maybe seasonal residents would be driving the decisions, but in fact, that's not the case. We have 88% of the respondents that say that they're year-round residents. Um, they're generally mostly male, white, but they all live in that northern zip code, the 92211, um, that is corresponding to the North Palm Desert area. Next. When we looked at household profiles, we realized that the majority of the respondents were over the age of 40, typically living in a household of two individuals, two adults, and the majority of them did not have children. Um, you know, you see that response there at 57%. Um, so that's something that sort of was a red flag for us, and we'll talk a lot about that a little bit later. But it's important to note that the majority of them were over the age of 40, adults and no children. Next. When we uh, sort of inquired about frequency of use, um, the majority of the respondents identified that uh, they would be visiting the parks um, with friends and with family. So it's, it's more of a social uh, sort of attribute. Um, they approached the park as an important social component of their uh, community engagement. Um, and they said that they would visit the park mostly on a weekly basis predominantly either on weekday mornings or on the weekends. So um, based on the data that we'll see a little bit later, we're assuming that some of these are mostly fitness uh, routines that individuals are, are engaging in. Next. We also wanted to get a sense from the respondents what, the what their motivating factors would be to visit the parks. And the majority of them responded um, that they wanted to go to the parks mostly for um, low-impact activities, so walking and strolling and exercising. Um, and their, the purpose for that was to get uh, health and wellness, get an opportunity to get out of the house and provide some recreational opportunities. Um, and then they also felt that parks were incredibly important in strengthening the community image overall. Um, when we asked how often do parks become an important component of your fitness routines, you'll see that 77% of them said that absolutely parks are an important component of that fitness and wellness that they engage in. Beyond sports, we also wanted to find out what other types of programming and activities would be attractive to respondents. And the responses that we heard back were um, at the top of the list, the farmer's market opportunities for live music and food trucks, and maybe an, an antique or arts market as well. Next. Then we wanted to hone in on organized sports. And these were all just general questions before we actually got into the specific questions of the regional sports park. But we wanted to find out exactly how important organized sports were for the respondents. And you'll see that it's split right down um, an even number. Um, almost in thirds, um, when, when individuals said that sports, uh, you know, that they participated in sports either often, never, or sometimes. Um, so there really wasn't a strong leader in that category. But when we talked of, when we asked 
different kind of organized sports the responders wanted. The majority of them uh, wanted pickleball, of course, soccer, because we know that soccer is very popular. Um, and there was some desire for basketball and disc golf. Disc golf was not something that we had initially anticipated. And we got uh, really overwhelmed and bombarded with a lot of responses from residents wanting a disc golf. A lot of them showed up to the open house and shared uh, 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 those desires and explained the needs to us. Um, and the numbers show uh, that it's, it's among the higher uh, choices above football. Next. We also wanted to get a sense from the residents um, what are the qualities and values that they expect um, when they look at the park? And uh, the things that they that came back of, of course, cleanliness and of course, safety and lighting. But more importantly, we heard that aesthetics and beauty, a lot of shade, a lot of comfort, a lot of locations for people to passively recreate and sit and just be observant of nature was an important component. Next. Towards the tail end of the, of the survey, we started to try to parse out exactly what the respondents wanted to see in the community park vis-a-vis -vis the regional sports park. I want to remind you that the, that the community park is located on the north end of, of the overall Millennium site area um, and the regional sports park. Um, it's uh, going to be located along the Frank Sinatra uh, corridor. And when you look at the responses, the, respondent, the responses are all almost exactly the same with the exception of the last uh, number 10 option for both. So that again uh, told us that um, the individuals that were responding were um, either uh, in much agreement with everybody else or we were only getting one side of the responses. Um, but you'll see there, Similar uh, responses that we got in the general uh, categories, uh, walking and hiking, very passive, the access to restrooms, the importance of lighting, the importance of exercise, the importance of places for people to be able to dispose of trash appropriately and find places to sit and, um, and passively uh, recreate. And it was, it, it was very interesting to see these passive um, responses pop up as the higher values in the regional sports park questions. Next. And when we ask them to, uh, of those to take their top five, you'll see that they are absolutely identical. Restrooms, walking, exercise trails, uh, litter removal and lighting. Across the board for both the community park, which is gonna be more of a passive nature um, use, and then the regional sports park. Um, next. So I, I want to give you some summary and then give you some highlights and some takeaways of what we determine from the data as it stands right now. The respondents overwhelmingly identified as year-round residents from the North Palm Beach, um, the North Palm Desert area. We thought that that was really critical. The majority of the responses were provided by groups ages 40 and over with no children. So we want to make sure that uh, as the survey continues, that we're trying to get more of those families to respond. The majority of the programming selections for both parks were aligned with passive uses that were more aligned with health and wellness. 
And that event programming was an important component the residents wanted. So we know that that's going to be something from an operational standpoint that's going to be really important for, for the park. But for, from a design standpoint, we know we're going to want to be able to create flexible use spaces that can accommodate sort of adaptive uses of this nature. Restrooms, cleanliness, and connected path networks were really important. We heard from a lot of people that they use their parks to go out and walk, get their morning walks or afternoon walks, walk with the family whenever, you know, we had a lot of um, people that showed up at the open house tell us that they have grandchildren that come and visit. And when their, their grandchildren come and visit, the, one of the places that they always take them is to the parks, either to the children's play equipment or just to go sort of recreate with them there. Um, and the last bullet is that data gaps have identified that we show a gap in uh, data that includes families. So our next step is gonna try to reach uh, developers, some youth recreational programs and the Desert Sands Unified School District so that we can try and sort of promote the survey to get a little bit more involvement from uh, individuals that have families and children uh, in their household. Next. Next. There. Um, so our next steps. Our next steps is to conduct some planning analysis by staff to identify the potential density buildout of the area that's um, north of the park of the pro, of the proposed park area. One of the things that we want to get a sense is to get a, a sort of handle on how many potential new households are going to come in, and what the potential for them could be for families. But part of that is to also do some research data on current home sales to identify what those trends are, because if the developers are marketing their product to the retirement community, then that tells us that we're not gonna get a whole lot of families coming into that area, which is an important piece of data that we need to know. Um, and the last piece of data that I think we wanna collect is to do a little bit of research from the nearby college to find out um, if they are gonna have some on-campus some on college residents and at what density. If they're not gonna have uh, on-campus residents, the likeliness is that some of those students might be either commuting from the overall area or potentially even renting closer to the campus. Next. So what we wanted to do was at the request of staff, we wanted to be able to um, help, help staff identify different program components that could potentially be in these parks as an exercise to try to arrive at a potential cost. So when we looked at the community park, we of course looked at um, programming issues such as parking, open lawn areas, restrooms, children's play area. We heard from residents that they wanted a corner arts plaza there, um, an exercise hub, and an opportunity for disc golf could occur there. When we looked at a regional sports park, we incorporated a lot of the top components that we heard from the residents, and then we added um, the potential for some of these more these family-friendly um, program uses, such as a children's playground or a splash pad, um, opportunities for beach volleyball, additional uh, courts, uh, uh, soccer and football fields, um, maybe an area for a much larger dog park than what currently exists in the, in the Millennium area. 
um, just north of, of the park. So we wanted to sort of look at all of these as potential menu components to sort of arrive at what different configurations could occur in the park. Next. So when we looked specifically at the community park, um, we start to price out um, the different components that could fit there. Um, in the Millennium Plan, it's identified as 27 acres. However, we know that that, that, that number might be in flux. There's also a uh, storm basin that might come in and might occupy some of that land. So a lot of these components luckily are scalable. So when we look at the, at the overall cost for incorporating them, we are looking at um, providing uh, walking paths, a lot of green areas, a lot of shade, the opportunity for the disc golf, a lot of park furnishings, um, and access and wayfinding um, to a total cost of approximately $7 million. Um, that's at a cost per acre of $269. $1,000, but we think that that's scalable depending on the number of uh, components and the size of the components that you put in. Next. For the regional sports park, um, again, that data, uh, we did not feel comfortable that that data really hit the nail on the head as to exactly what the residents wanted because we felt that we were getting um, mostly feedback from uh, older, retired uh, uh, households that didn't have children. So uh, in there, we, uh, we were tasked with determining sort of a range of costs to sort of give you some bookends of, of, of what kind of costs you might be looking at. Um, we also wanna note that that range is dependent on how many components and elements are included in the final parks design. We are gonna show you some test fit scenarios. I have to say, these are not designs. These are simply just trying to figure out what can fit in the different areas that we are providing. Um, and those are being provided so that we can talk about budget. Next. So starting on the lower end, we looked at a 30 acre uh, parcel, sort of uh, uh, taking a 30 acre piece of land of the overall 170 acres of land that the city currently holds. Um, and we looked at providing ample parking, six multi-use play fields that could accommodate both soccer and football, baseball fields that were, um, uh, that were uh, uh, sized um, for competition, uh, 12 pickleball courts, a couple basketball courts, a children's playground, some flexible area, trying to accommodate as, and meet as much of those needs as possible that we heard in the survey. Um, if we go to the next slide, when we looked at those costs, we saw that those costs would generate um, a park design that would come in at roughly $6.4 million at a cost of $547 uh, per acre. Uh, next. When we looked at the bigger size, a 40 acre, um, with a predominant use of sports fields, here you'll see that we have um, eight multi-use uh, play fields, more parking because we understand that um, as, as you have more fields, there's a greater opportunity to having some competition and tournaments, um, two baseball fields, uh, eight pickleball courts, two basketball courts, similar sort of improvements as the previous option. The only thing here is that we have more parking and more play fields next. And that cost 
comes in at 23.2 million at a cost of 581 per acre. Um, and, you know, we, we, these are order of magnitude costs, but, you know, using the scale diagram, we were able to actually uh, take some good takeoffs in terms of distances and calculations. So we feel really comfortable with these numbers. Next. And at your highest intensity of use, we looked at that 40 acre regional sports park opportunity, um, really capitalizing on the majority of sports play components. So while we reduced the number of fields from eight down to four, we did increase the pickleball courts to a number of 28, um, only because we heard that uh, pickleball is a very popular uh, sport and everybody that came to the to the um, to the open house was very vocal about either disc golf or pickleball courts. We provide um, uh, basketball courts, uh, uh, beach volleyball, tennis courts, a baseball and softball fields, and ample parking opportunity for children's playground and a splash pad, um, interconnected walking trails, uh, places where individuals can jog not on concrete, but on a more malleable surface that's easier on the knees and the ankles. Um, and of course, lighting, restrooms, and storage. Next. And that cost came in at 34 million, almost 35 million. And you'll see that the cost per acre jumps. And that's because there's a lot more hardscape that needs to go in to accommodate for all these court games. There's fencing, there's additional lighting, there's access control, there's all sorts of components and infrastructure that need to go in. Next. So when we look in comparison, we find that um, from, a, from a 30 acre, mostly sports field um, uh, uh, arrangement, all the way up to the more intense court, court uh, game use park, you have a range from 16 to $34.8 million. And the purpose of this was to be able to uh, uh, give you numbers so that then our understanding is that you're going to be engaging in conversations about, about uh, budgets. So we wanted to be able to give you a sense for what can be accommodated um, uh, in these different scenarios. And, and that concludes my presentation. I'll be glad to answer any questions that you may have. Just to uh, frame our questions, uh, the first bullet point under next steps was a planning analysis informed by staff. And of course, in recent months, this council has entitled uh, close to a thousand uh, multifamily affordable units, uh, largely in the north part of town. Uh, so that says that there's a huge potential uh, for the mix within the population served by these future parks to shift. Uh, so uh, as we ask questions, I do want to feature that. Uh, because it means that that first bullet point is key. And in addition to spurring 
additional participation from families in the area. We have to think about the future users who aren't yet there. Uh, questions, comments from council? Mayor Pro yes, thank you. Uh, council Member Nestante. Okay, my turn or was it Mayor Pro Tem? It's your turn. It's my turn. Okay, well, thank you for the wonderful presentation and the different scenarios. And as you stated, uh, that People under 40, people with families have been underrepresented and the mayor just touched upon it as well. And so I, I wouldn't, as a council, wanna make decisions based upon not having the complete demographic picture. And for example, well, sure, but my hunch is that the families and people under 40 maybe don't place as high of value on pickleball as the people that are over 50. Mm -hmm. And so I, I wouldn't want to over overly develop pickleball at the expense of sports fields, for example. That's 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 just one point I'd like to make. And then as the mayor said, we're we're building many multifamily housing projects, and I'm looking at a lot of the homes getting built right now by developers for sale, and many of them are two-story, and developers tend to not want two-story if their market are the retirement crowd. Yeah. So my guess is they probably have data for you that indicates they're building for, for families as well in that area. So those, those are just my comments and opinions. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor Pro Tem. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I completely concur with um, with uh, Councilmember Nestande that I would like to see a variety. Um, it seems like some of these were kind of generic, like, oh, we could throw a lot of this and we could throw a lot of that, where I would like to honestly see more restrooms. I think that at a park you can never have enough and they need to be distributed to different areas. As somebody who's had little kids in the park when suddenly you have to make that power run, it's not a wonderful experience. Yeah. Um, you meant, In one part I saw that you had 1.8 million allotted for storage and bathrooms. What kind of storage is that? Is it personal stuff like a locker so you can leave your stuff while you're playing basketball or is this the kind of storage that would be designated for um, folks if there was, you know, to be an organized pickleball league, for example, would they have storage for their equipment? So you will need uh, storage capacity for all of the equipment to for all your games and your sports, um, your netting, uh, balls, um, and equipment. But in addition to that, you also need to have a storage area, sort of a, I want to say almost like a public works yard, where you stockpile your um, uh, soils and your clay and your different materials so that as the courts and the fields get used, you can very quickly replenish them. So uh, th that incorporated um, both that type of storage for the back of house operations, the storage of equipment, and the construction of restrooms. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, also looking at the different uh, requests from the community 
park versus the regional park, in looking at the schematics, it doesn't quite let us know, for example, if we were to decide that we would have food trucks, you know, where would those be, where would that be a great idea? Because here we, we know where we place them at this park. So I would appreciate in a, a future incarnation if we could, you know, have a, a few possibilities that would say this would be an area that would allow a farmer's market slash food truck and a, a multi-use area for vehicular components for, for those activities. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I recognize that these are very broad brush uh, renditions of what we're looking at. Um, and all of my comments actually kind of fall under what you identified as the data did not hit the nail on the head and there are data gaps. So I look forward to when we are able to get more information from those families, uh, those parents and children to really find out. But I love the considerations being uh, taken and I know that we're going to come up with a great program. There were just two things that uh, don't necessarily fall under the data gaps and one is I didn't see anything about community gardens and if I recall that was offered in your check the box here and I was kind of surprised that that didn't rise anywhere where it was worth noting. And the other thing is I hope we're not going to be using plastic grass in our parks. That's my comments. Anything? You, you don't have to force it. Uh, Councilmember Harning, I didn't hear what you said. You hope we're not going to use, I, I missed that. Plastic grass. Yes. Plastic grass? Yes. Okay, great. But, and I appreciate the effort that's been made. We've come a long way, and I, and I see the, the uh, kind of really overreaching uh, philosophy in where you're going, and I do appreciate it. Thank you. All right, excellent. Uh, this is Councilmember Truby. Just a, um, I want to say thank you. It looks like you've made some progress on fleshing out more details since our last Parks and Rec uh, meeting. So I really appreciate the updates here. And um, one thing I haven't seen uh, much consideration give to, given to yet is how this would fit in with our existing parks, you know, the Civic Center, uh, the needs that are already served here, uh, what happens down in Freedom Park, and how this would fit into the whole um, ensemble of what we have uh, for parks in the city. Is, is that important in your studies or is this going to be considered a standalone? I mean, in other words, you see much travel within the entire city um, from people going from South Palm Desert who might be using this park or are you considering this to serve just the residents that will be in the northern part of town? If that makes sense. Hopefully. Sure. I think that the intention is to make this a destination park um, uh, not only for the residents on the north side of town, um, but something that complements the different uses that already exist. And one of the things that, that we've heard from the residents that came to the open house, for example, was um, that there is a very, very high demand on the sports fields. Um, and that there seems to be moments where uh, some individuals want to use the sports fields and they can't because it's already being reserved or occupied by other individuals. So there seems to be a big demand for that. Um, so I so I think that it will complement the different uh, parks in the overall area. Uh, I have a question and a challenge. Uh, 
one of the most popular uses here at uh, Civic Center Regional Park is the barbecue areas. Um, and particularly folks who might live in a multifamily context love those spaces for extended family gatherings, birthday parties, etc. I didn't see that on the list. Is that in the thinking? It is. Um, we think that, uh, uh, you know, I'm doing a park right now. Um, it's a 30-acre park, and we're putting in 60 barbecue stands because it is something that we heard the residents are, were really wanting. We, we've seen how that really activates the park. It brings people over to the park. They come in, in droves, and they come with large family gatherings. It is an important sort of catalyst. So that is something that we thought as a furnishings package, we would have naturally already put into the park. I want to remind you, we're still super early in the process. These were not designs that we were doing. We were just trying to figure out what could actually fit within that 30 or 40 acre site and how that would have an impact on budget. But I think that as we iterate um, the process and as we refine designs, then you'll see a lot of these furnishing packages come your way which are going to include um, uh, the, bas the, the, the barbecue stands as well. Terrific. It was just such a given that it wasn't yeah. there, but I wanted to make sure. Uh, yes, because <laughs> this is quick. I do understand what you said about the uh, data gaps, but I just have one thing, and, and it seems kind of obvious, but nonetheless, it wasn't mentioned. Are, have you used uh, our Desert Recreation District as a resource for filling in those gaps? Uh, I can take that one, Gianno, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So, um, as we mentioned, we've identified now the data gaps of, you know, families with children and children who might participate, participate in organized sports. So the next steps are going to be to set up stakeholder meetings. Um, so we're looking at Desert Recreation District, YMCA, Boys and Girls Club, the school district, Desert Sands, and then all of the recreation leagues. So we have PDYSA for baseball um, and the youth soccer organization. Um, we've even heard from organized pickleball and um, disc golf and then dog parks as well. So um, even dog parks have organized groups um, that we'd like to meet with individually and obtain all of that feedback uh, so that we're incorporating the full spectrum of the future residents there. Um, and in addition to that, working on uh, with planning on contacting the developers, uh, you know, are they marketing their homes to families um, or is it more of a retirement community and making sure that we're aligned with the need that will be there. Thank you. Uh, I'll just wrap up with that challenge I promised. Uh, Councilmember Nestante, did you have something? Yeah. Well, I, I took my hand down, but just real quick then, data on uh, tennis versus pickleball. I know pickleball is all the rage right now, but we still do host the international tennis tournament. So I do want to keep tennis courts in the back of, of, of your mind. Which tees up my big challenge. When we built Civic Center Park, no one was playing pickleball. <laughs> there will be a next big thing. 
so the challenge is, and this is your expertise, so I'm expecting you can meet the challenge, is to design some space which is flexible and mm -hmm. adaptable and capable of serving Lord knows what. Uh, because we didn't see pickleball coming. So, <laughs> it is. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, that concludes our study session. Uh, we're just a couple minutes tardy opening up. The meeting for our closed session. So I'll proceed with that if that's acceptable. And then we'll be sure to get a break in before we start open session. Uh, so I will call to order uh, the February 16, 2023 meeting of the City Council Successor Agency to the Bomb as a Redevelopment Agency and Housing Authority. <clears throat> uh, our closed session topics have been noticed. We do have one request to speak to a closed session topic, Mr. Charles Benjamin. <clears throat> I have some notes here. <laughs> uh, could you identify the topic uh, so that council members can determine potential need for recusal? Sure. This is in regards to the sale of 45656 Mountain View Avenue. Okay. Good then path. I will recuse myself because of the proximity to my home. Please. Great. Good afternoon, esteemed members of the City Council. My name is Charles Benjamin, and I'm here to speak to you about the sale. Could you get the microphone closer to your mouth? Does that work? Yeah, much better. <laughs> Try to speak up. No worries. <laughs> Um, uh, my name is Charles Benjamin. I reside at 72760 Mesquite Court in beautiful Palm Desert, and I'm here to speak with you about the sale of 45656 Mountain View Avenue. As I initially submitted a proposal to purchase the property and was not selected to proceed. Uh, I would like to note that before anything that speaking with you today comes from no place of frustration for not being included in the decision process and is solely for my concern for this distinctive home. I would also like to recognize Ms. Glickman and the entire staff-led selection committee for their efforts navigating the surplus land act process and also to all city employees for the efforts they do in supporting this community. Regarding the sale of the Mountain View Avenue property, it was my impression that when the home was willed to Palm Desert, it was under the premise the city was to serve as a liaison for the preservation and protection of the property. However, in regards to the parties being considered, it does not seem, based on any information that I was able to research, that either party holds intention for true historic stewardship of this home. As Fidelis Advisors is a property developer based in San Diego with a history of mixed-use housing initiatives, Mr. Yinger, a real estate agent from Palm Springs, 
and Miss Gage, a designer of vacation rental homes in San Diego, the contenders do not bode well for the longevity of this historical piece of architecture being a fixture to this community. With their intentions seemingly more like a flip vacation rental or other type of investment. <clears throat> As a local Palm Desert resident with a great deal of love and passion for this city, my entire proposal was built on the premise that this home should be made a fixture for all residents and be included as a pivotal piece to the city's architecture and history for decades to come. In addition to having the backing of members of the Palm Desert Historical Society, this proposal was submitted from the beginning as a single family homeowner with a lifetime intention to own and not as any type of investment or property development. Both my initial proposal as well as the supplemental questionnaire um, were outlined a definitive plan of how I intend to include the community and open this home to the public in every possible way. While I can't rule out that some of these items may have also been included uh, with the other applicants, I find it hard to come to terms with the fact that it is highly unlikely that my innovative approach for inclusion for all of Palm Desert was matched by any other. <clears throat> Taking all this into account within closed session today, I implore you to ask yourselves why two parties who are assumably more invested in a transactional flip of this property are being considered instead of one that has included thorough planning and a comprehensive historic pr preservation approach to the um, community for enrichment from the very beginning. I thank you for your time and appreciate all that you do to impart your help on this community. <clears throat> thank you very much. Any other public comment? Uh, we will adjourn to closed session.